Mike Snyder, Commissioner of Forest Parks and Recreation for the state of Vermont, welcome. It's so nice to have you here to talk about foliage. Um, let's kind of get right down to it. How do you think the foliage season is shaping up? I mean, does it look like we're going to have a, a good season? Yes, things are shaping up quite nicely. In the in the things that we know contribute to a good fall foliage season, some of the ingredients are well known um, and and are known ahead of time, and some which we can talk about kind of come later, and that's yet to happen. So what we know is we have good forest health conditions, particularly the spring season was relatively dry, and in with regard to fall foliage, that's helpful because wet, rainy, damp springs are great for leaf fungi, diseases that, that infect leaves and keep them from turning pretty colors. We had a very low incidence of foliar diseases in the spring and early summer, so that bodes well. And then we had generally good conditions with limited defoliation, limited drought, a um, little bit of dry, which we know somewhat anecdotally can actually enhance color. So things are in, in, a, in a good place, shaping up nice for another great season. And of course, now we need those, those things that haven't happened yet. That is the continuing uh, seasonable weather, uh, fall, uh, summer conditions extending into September and then the early fall weather. So sunny, uh, warm days, cool nights, a little bit of moisture here and there. Uh, as long as we get those things and no hurricanes or early snowfall, things are indeed looking really good. That's great. Can you walk us through the science behind why leaves change color? Sure. Uh, to, to the extent that we know it, I think this is one of my favorite things about fall foliage is that we've learned, we, the larger forest science community, if you will, have learned uh, an awful lot about the physiology and the science behind uh, autumn color in trees which is really cool, especially since so much of that has been elucidated by scientists right here in Vermont. Uh, Abby Vandenberg at the Proctor Maple Center uh, Research Center, Paul Schauberg with the U.S. Forest Service and the Rubenstein School. They've really been leaders in, in again, understanding, elucidating the mechanisms by which this happens. Uh, and people all over the world have benefited from that. Um, but we also have a bunch that we is still left kind of magical, I think, in some ways, mysterious at least, and in my mind, a little bit magical. And I think that's kind of cool. So to the extent that we understand it, I can, I can try to translate, which is basically to say, it's really the development of fall color is really related to trees adjusting to seasons and preparing for winter. They, trees, as you, as everyone knows, they're rooted in place. They can't sort of look ahead and say, boy, winter's coming, let's move to Florida. They have to stick it out for centuries in one place. And that means they've evolved great mechanisms for paying attention to environmental conditions like day length, temperature, moisture. Uh, and they're really clued in. Uh, they've been doing this for millions of years. And so it, it begins with the trees kind of telling time by the shrinking day length. As we all experience it here in late summer, Days get shorter. The trees are noticing that too, and that's one of our principal cues for. Okay, let's let's get our act together. We need to get ready for fall and then winter, particularly in the case of hardwoods or broadleaf trees, the deciduous trees that lose their leaves and are the ones that really turn the pretty colors. Those, as opposed to needles of pines and firs and spruces, the evergreens, 
that that are evergreen. They stay, they retain their leaves all winter. They're built for that. The maples and the birches and the aspens and the cherries, right, the hardwoods, they are not built. Those leaves cannot withstand freezing winter conditions. But at the same time, they're really valuable in the summer as solar capturers and um, that do the magic of photosynthesis. They're expensive to build. They have a lot of chemistry going on inside them. That's complicated. And the trees then say, all right, well, let's recover that investment in these important uh, leaves when they are triggered by waning day length. And it, it triggers a series of physiological changes, principally to break down the pigment known as chlorophyll that gives them their green color to our eyes. Um, it's a complex molecule, again, expensive, if you will, in a tree sense to build and make. So the trees are thrifty and they try to recover by breaking down chlorophyll into its constituent parts and then retranslocating those back into the tree before forming a wall on their leaf stem and the twig that allows the leaf eventually to fall off in the wind. So by decomposing, if you will, the chlorophyll, um, breaking it down, recovering it, it then unmasks uh, some other pigments that are are there all along, uh, pigments that make the colors yellow and orange, principally these are known as the carotenoid pigments. Those are there and to some extent are covered by the dominance of the, uh, the green pigment chlorophyll. And so when the chlorophyll breaks down, it, we get to see the development of the yellows and the oranges. And then one more step occurs. It can occur during the summer and the early fall, but then really in fall during the fall color time with the uh, there's a further physiological change involving sugars within the leaves and moisture where another pigment is produced known as the anthocyanins, and they're responsible for making the red colors. Now you have the final ingredient as the tree is sort of breaking down and preparing for winter. You have this, um, at the same time, this corresponding color change of yellows, oranges, then the red with some remaining greens and you get these mixtures and that's what makes a great display that uh, the great diversity of tree species their timing differences uh, their chemistry differences and that's why we get this incredible display here in our diverse forests that have all those different trees all with their own approach physiologically to this basic process of closing down for summer and preparing for winter it's so complex i remember when i worked in the vermont tourism office um, about 10 years ago, and people would ask me that question, and I was like a deer in the headlights, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot more to it, and, uh, you know, more than I, I went into, and, you know, like newly emerging understanding of those red colors, um, that the anthocyanins playing kind of an antioxidant role, if you will, like in, in a, a protective function, because this is a delicate time for a tree's leaves as it's going from full-on summer green to this transition there's there's still fungi and insects and diseases or whatever that can affect them uh and so the the red color development is thought to be it's, there's also uh injury from the sun itself uh and that, so this can play this sort of screening and helpful protective role in the leaves which is actually relatively new knowledge again deciphered here in Vermont by these scientists, which is, is really cool. So it continues, we continue to learn just how complex it is. At the same time, it's pretty simple. And I'll just, so I'll boil it down and give you the really short version. It's, it's trees telling time, realizing the seasons are changing, being thrifty about uh, how hard they've worked to make leaves, 
And the byproduct is this incredible color display as the tree prepares for winter. Nice. Can you talk about how the fall foliage, kind of the how it starts in Vermont, you know, it starts up north and kind of up in the higher elevation and, and works its way down. A lot of people are, I always find kind of surprised to hear about that. They kind of think maybe it happens all at once, but it's actually kind of a gradual process. You got it. And it, it's pretty straightforward. It makes an awful lot of sense based on what I just described about the it's the trees, the color development is really the tree's response to changing environmental conditions, principally day lengths, principally temperature and moisture. And those changes also happen from north to south and high to low. It's a relatively small state and pretty cool, I think, to think about how even within a small state, the northern part of the state is very different environmentally from the southern part of the state. Similarly, even with just a few thousand feet of elevation change, you can get drastic differences in the natural communities, the assemblage of species that, that live and grow uh, from the you know, mountaintops down to the valley bottom. So even within a tiny, relatively tiny state like Vermont, you have these changing from environmental conditions, the, the, the differences from the north-south and the rate of change in the seasons is different from north to south. So it makes a lot of sense that it would begin the ingredients that you need to trigger the change and then to have the color development. That happens first and more strongly in the north and at higher elevations. And then it happens gradually, works its way with those conditions southerly. I hope that makes sense. It does, yeah. What's a big, do you hear, I don't know, do you have to correct people? Is there a big misconception about fall foliage? Well, you know, I, Maybe that there seems to be in some mind some sort of set time or schedule, and that peak is one thing and the same thing to all. Mm -hmm. I've learned over 30 plus years, you know, professionally looking at trees and trying to understand them and making notes that, that neither is true. Uh, there's no, there's a general time frame. Sure, it's fall. We have often said, you know, you're going to see the best displays generally last couple of weeks in September, first couple of weeks in October. If you think about it, that's actually a month. That's a pretty long time right. during this transition. And so, sure, it's going to be in there somewhere. Of late, the last several years, we've had, to my observation, I think and it's, it's borne out by some data that we've had these, these kind of summer weather lingering into fall. And that just kind of delays the development of these physiological processes. It's a little slower. And that has correspondingly had people say, well, wait, it's late this year. It's late. It's late. And I, to me, that's a misconception. It's, I like to say, trust the trees. They've been doing this for millions of years. They are not late. You are early in your expectation, uh, right? So I think that, if anything, that conception somehow that it's super predictable, it is largely predictable in this general pattern. But within that pattern, there's vagaries and variances every year, which I think adds to the fun of it. Another would be just that there's some sort of idea of one, one idea of peak. This one I feel strongly about, you know, find your peak. Come to Vermont, we've got such diversity and variety. There's something for everyone. And what I've noticed is that everyone has a different sensibility. Um, I think we can agree that peak is some sort of the broadest swaths of land with the most colored you know, development at the highest intensity. Sure, but that's pretty academic. In practice, people have their preferences. Some like a little bit of green in the backdrop. Some really go for the yellows and the golden colors. And, and I think it's common for people to also, on the other hand, some just really are crazy for the red. Um, so I think it's this idea that it's, some, it's so heavily predictable 
and that peak is one thing. And another, I guess I'd add, is that you have to do this from the, the seat of a car. Um, sure, it's helpful to get around, but as you know, I'm big on encouraging people to experience fall foliage from, from the waters, from the trails, whether it's hiking, biking, uh, uh, what have you. Getting out and about and in it, you smell it, you see it, you t can almost taste it at times. And there's so much more to do and enjoy with it. So if, in as much as people think that you have to kind of drive around to, to, to see foliage, that would be another misconception. We've had some great fall foliage seasons in recent memory. I know, known from working in tourism, I know every few years people might say like, oh, this wasn't a great year, or the colors were a little dull, or, you know, peak was late, you know, or something like that. Um, can you talk about the difference between a good year and a in a bad year? Is that maybe that things happen too early or too late or too quickly? Like, what's the, what does that even mean? Hmm. Well, maybe I'm the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> not, not, not because I'm some shill for tourism and marketing, but <laughs> really, because I'm always delighted year in, year eight. Maybe, maybe not on every hillside uh, statewide, but in some place every year, it's just wonderful. So that's my belief. I also have to tell you, um, you know, I was a county forester long before becoming commissioner, and one of our roles back then, and they still do contribute to our foliage reporting, and I'd be asked to do this. And I checked in with one of our, one of my kind of mentors, a, a more veteran county forester, and it became known that he he was kind of famous for giving a a quote about fall foliage in this aspect of you know bad years or off years. Um, and he said it differently, but I'll paraphrase. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be encouraged to use the same language he did, but I'll paraphrase. He said that fall foliage in Vermont is a lot like, say, pizza. Um, Jim said something else. But it's, when it's good, it's really good. And when it's off, it's still pretty good. So right. that says a lot about our, our take here. Is that, but I think you ask a good question. What, what does that mean, an off year? Uh, you got at it. I think one is, is it goes real fast, like uh, as opposed to the last few years where it's kind of lingered in this delightful, delicious way of kind of easing into things and then popping. Some years it all happens in a goat or some years we have an early snow. There have been these that the leaves off the trees they, or really bad defoliation events where hundreds of acres of hillsides are just denuded of leaves that can't turn pretty colors. Um, so those can they, and they do every year to some extent. And when they, when we have big widespread, you know, kind of episodes, that can really dampen things. I think it's a, it's a quick turn of, of, of seasonal, um, you know, environmental conditions, unseasonable weather that make it either just happen real fast or have it be kind of, you know, dull and a little bit crispy, I guess. Those are, those are ways that can turn some areas you know, less than the, the usual stellar. Right. And I remember when I, when I worked in tourism, fall was super intense because it's such a short season and there's so much demand and I would get media inquiries and I'd have foresters to talk to. And I used to do some of these foliage reports and talk to these foresters that you mentioned. And of course, if the weather wasn't great or the colors were a little dull or something, it, it always made my job a little harder so always having a good foliage season was like the best. It was just like, oh, this is an excellent year and everybody's happy. But 
how do you navigate the not so great years? Like, what do you say in foliage reports or how do you communicate that? The truth, always. Yeah. Credibility demands it. Uh, so seriously, that's, and this to me is, um, maybe this is what I, what, what I give the, our tourism and marketing folks at the state a lot of credit is that they understand their role and they're very open about um, serving as ambassadors to the state and encouraging visitors and reminders ourselves to enjoy and all that we have to offer here. That's great. And I think it's to their credit that they said, but let's get these forest geeks in on this and see what they have to say. So it's a team effort. And I, I've, you know, always held and have encouraged our people to just tell the truth. And some of them get anxious about it. Well, geez, we've got this, you know, forest tent caterpillar defoliation across, you know, a few hundred acres over here. It doesn't look great. Well, let's tell them that. That's what I say. Like, but I, at the same time, you, you, so use it as an, an as a opportunity to help people learn about forests and the complexity and the dynamism and the, just the, the wonders of the forest. But then, you know, don't be shy about saying, and geez, and if you just, you know, hike over that hill to the other side, you know, the bugs didn't get there. It fabulous. So to me, it's the way we handle it is to be the credible science-based tree nerds with a little bit of fun and excitement thrown in. And with our colleagues at Tourism Marketing who have sort of the other side, you know, they depend on us for that sort of rigor and they have the planning and the, the day tripping and the fun. Uh, and it's a good package. So to me, it's about telling the story, leveraging it for greater understanding, but also being not bashful about <laughs> yeah. going the extra bit to find places that are still good in the midst of a defoliation event or some sort of disease outbreak. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. I have to tell you that this matters to me um a lot i've had a lot of fun over 10 years now as commissioner giving reports all over the world and taking interviews and claiming we have the world's best foliage i think it's a credible claim that it's largely in fun of course our states around us also have good foliage i like to say it's a second place um uh, because you know it, it's credible and i guess to me I, I i also i think that that matters while we have fun with it to maintain some basic level of credibility and be honest about it and this goes all the way back to me being a kid skiing. I grew up skiing, listening to highly fictionalized snow reports. I was just thinking about way. snow reports. Yeah. I think, no, I think they've come a long way in they my have. experience, but stuck with me. And I didn't want to be a forester who was unable to say the truth that, boy, you know, that one looks a little drab. <laughs> so I think it adds to the power of our glowing reports about the really great foliage. When people know, we'll tell it like it is. If it's a little off, we're going to tell you what it is, where it is, and why it is. And that probably always harkens back to my frustrations of showing up on the hill and being like, this is not packed powder. <laughs> right, right. And I know, I, and with skiing, I think times have changed a lot where um, maybe they used to be able to get away with that a little more, where now people, they they want that credibility. And I think ski areas are doing a much better job. I know like Jay Peak is always really upfront about, you know, how things are and how the skiing is and, you know, don't come today, maybe come tomorrow or something like that. But, um, but it does matter a lot. So and I would agree with you. And I, I want to be clear. That was, uh, yeah, it was a you know, hundred years ago as a kid <laughs> growing up. Uh, it, it is very different. And I think credibility, honesty is demanded, demands it. So yeah, I, I would agree. And, and in fact, 
thinking back to that famous County Forester quote about fall foliage, he, he could have just as well said, Ski, uh, fall foliage in Vermont is like skiing in Vermont. When it's good, it's really good. And when it's off, it's still pretty darn good. And I think that's, you mentioned Jay, they're going to be honest and say, come on up. It's still going to be fun. It's just not, right. you know, a powder day. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of the the outdoors and skiing and all of that, um, last year I interviewed you out in Groton. We took a little hike and I interviewed you for my website's Happy Vermonter series. And you talked about how you like going camping and backcountry skiing and hiking and hunting. And I also learned something about you that I never knew, that you play harmonica in a band. So I would just love to hear a little bit about that, that part of your life too. I mean, you're so busy, but then you have time to play harmonica and hang out with musicians and all that. Yeah, well, that's thanks. It's fun. It's really a, one of the great delights. Uh, I don't get to do it as much as I'd like. It's kind of you asked to ask about it. I mean, uh, what can I tell you? Playing harmonicas uh, with other people is, again, it's one of the great joys in my life. I, I like to say it's, it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. Uh, <laughs> listening to each other, communicating through music, it's just the best. And then my harp, uh, it's, you know, I love the sound. Uh, it's a constant challenge to try to attain the sound that I hear in my head, but it's not coming out of my face. <laughs> And, um, you know, the breathing in and out and harmonizing at the same time. It's it's not like a guitar or piano or so many others. Like, think about even a saxophone. Breathing in and out while harmonizing with the band and or playing the melody. Uh, it's It's physically very interesting to overcome one's natural pattern of breathing, um, to do it in a meaningful way. And that is, is just really cool. So... There's a look into the deep underbelly belly of the harp guy. Um, it's really, uh, it's setting to play, to make music with others is a great joy, generally. Uh, and I chose an instrument, in addition to having the benefit of allowing me to hang out with actual musicians, it is very centering to me, and it's also at the same time a hell of a challenge. Is there a name, does your, do you play in one band, and does that band have a, I'm sure it has a name. Well, I'm something of an opportunist, so I play, or I do a lot of sitting in with a variety of bands, uh, and then locally we have a small thing that's sort of on again, off again, and um, of some really great musicians. We call ourselves Burn Permit. Nice. I like that. Excellent. So when you're, and do you play a lot? I mean, are you doing this like every weekend or just kind of when you can? It used to be more, certainly COVID put a real dent in sure. it, so didn't play for several months. We played out in an outdoor setting in, uh, was that July? That was great. It was like this incredible coming out and it seemed like out of the darkness and alone to come together and make music in front of people. So, and we just practiced this weekend with an outside long session of working out some uh, song lists. So as to be ready for what we hope will be the resumption of normal gigging at opera ski venues and uh, weddings and, and the like. So uh, w there have been times when I played, you know, regular gigs uh, weekly or a couple times a month. It, it, this year has been anything but normal. Of course. Right. And of course, this fall season will 
be anything but normal too. Um, you know, I know I was just down in Manchester uh, visiting some family, uh, Manchester, Vermont, and I was down visiting family and um, it was packed. It was a lot of people. So I thought, oh, maybe there'll be a lot of people here during the fall season and people will come and go out to eat and hike and take scenic drives and, and maybe even see some, you know, outdoor live music. But there aren't the big kind of classic fall events happening this year. But you love the outdoors. You do, you spend a lot of time out there, mountain biking, hiking, and all of that. Can you recommend some of your favorite fall hikes? Sure. The ones that are, that are outside, how's that? Uh, yeah, right. That's uh, good. Can't go wrong, I guess, that, really. But That's kind of where I'm coming from. Seriously, I, you know, I've come to really appreciate, I'd say, the landscape and forests of Orleans County in particular, at the risk of singling one out and to the exclusion of others. Maybe that's just expressing that uh, I hadn't spent as much time there. So hikes, uh, so like the Willoughby area, I like the, the variety of features. I like good topography uh, with water, like lakes and rivers. And a nice little admixture of of agricultural land, uh, open land that just kind of frames and and sets off these views. So, and I I have been really enjoying exploring that kind of landscape pattern and the species mix throughout Orleans County, plus the, the remaining agricultural land. So, hikes in that zone I've been exploring more and more. They're not the big famous you know, um, bridge top ones, but uh, there's a lot of great hiking to be had there that gives you a chance to see that variety of landscape and, and land use patterns. I mean, those are, those are pieces of it. I was up with a couple of foresters last year taking some photos. Is it Willoughby State Forest? Is that what I'm thinking? Yes, it's Willoughby State Forest, which is sizable, and it has a bunch of different features, Mount Hoare, Mount Pisgah, Lake Willoughby, the South End, and so there, and, and you've got access, you're close by to say Kingdom Trails, if the mountain biking thing is, is what you're after. There's craft beer in the area, you know, farm stands and access to really great food. So, you know, I've been, you know, you know local, the hikes that I've been in areas where I've been enjoying the hikes. I mean, this is kind of on top of something a little different than classics like Mansfield, Campbell's Hump, Mount Abe, the Spine of the Green Mountains, the Worcester Range. Jay, you mentioned these are fantastic foliage hikes, and there's a lot to see, a lot of vantage points, and a lot of in the woods and are kind of on top of the woods. So I'm assuming those well-known, well-traveled ones are well well-known, and I'm suggesting folks look to little hidden pockets like in Orleans County and the Willoughby area. Maybe don't get that same level of billing with the tallest peaks, but it's every bit the world-class foliage viewing that that we see elsewhere. Yeah, no, it's a really special spot, and it's definitely a place that not everyone knows about it, right? It's not Mansfield or, or Camel's Hump, and so it's and sort I of think a different place to explore. I'm going to say, you know, all the, the northeastern counties, Essex County, I've long enjoyed being a hunter, going bird hunting, scouting for deer, doing kind of that early fall stuff with, with hunting companions at camp. It goes. It happens early in Essex County, so you get to go to Essex County early in the season and enjoy those seasonal activities that are traditional and wonderful for me and so many others. Even if that's not your thing, it's a great time to be there. No bugs, beautiful air, 
gorgeous scenery and early turning foliage, um, which is also true in Caledonia and Orleans County, so sort of the northeast corner. And then I think similarly, you look to the southwest, Bennington County, man, it can be, it, it can come, it can be delayed much later, if you will. And um, it's large, heavily forested with a great diversity of land features and an awful lot of good stuff to do. So it's not like one corner of the state. And, and God knows there's people all over the state who might hear this and say, what about us in the middle of the state? Well, that's true, too. Right. I know it's hard to you can't really pick favorites. But um, but yeah, and I, I second what you said about Bennington County. Um, that's my where I grew up. And um, a lot of you know, Green Mountain National Forest down there, a lot of, you know, f- relatively high peaks and just gorgeous yeah, absolutely being beautiful. there in the fall. Now, you were, you were born in Harlem. You grew up in New Hampshire. We won't hold that against you. And then you attended UVM <laughs> for your undergraduate and graduate degrees in forestry. Something I'm always curious about, um, did you did you always have an appreciation for forestry when you were growing, you know, growing up in in northern New England? I mean, did and did you realize kind of how special Vermont's was when you were here in college, or did what you kind cool of realize that question. later? I really appreciate it. I mean, you mentioned I was born in New York City, uh, spent my first several years in Long Island, uh, born into a family of New Yorkers and city people, and and so I think that really is the start of it was because. Early in my youth, there was a connection made in New Hampshire. It was known to us as a vacation place, very special. Long story, my dad got very ill. We ended up moving to New Hampshire. I'm the youngest of a big family, and so I basically grew up there. It's sort of like in this, uh, surrounded by woods. Um, there was significant stress. Uh, the woods were my solace. I remember always enjoying, the, you know, I just saw trees and the woods as magical places to play. And so that started early there in New Hampshire. You know, it's true. I'll admit that. Remember, I chose Vermont, and I have chose, chosen to stay here. I didn't just happen to be here. So I'd like to point that out. So growing up there, though, you know, I do remember being excited. I was very connected to the woods early on for a lot of just normal reasons. Fun to play, plus what we had around and lived on a dirt road, couldn't see any neighbors, and you know, had, to get, had to have fun somehow. Uh, it was the woods and climbing trees in particular. I do remember being excited by the changing colors and falling leaves. I, it's some of my earliest memories are, and what kid doesn't love tumbling around in, in a pile of leaves, right? I, I think that's universal. And so that's the background, but the Vermont thing, honestly, that came much later. My appreciation for Vermont's special place in fall foliage, if you will, is that, sure, New Hampshire uh, is fantastic. But I do sense a difference here, and that appreciation and sense came much later. So I, I did cho- choose to go to UVM, studied forestry, perhaps one of the very best decisions of my life, fantastic experience, chose to stay here 30 plus years later, and again, still see it as the best decision ever. And it was through my life as a practicing forester that I, I, di- I didn't just stay in Vermont, traveled and, and on, for fun and for work. and did a lot extensive, you know, kind of forays and field trips and all kinds of forests. And I keep returning and thinking, man, we really do have a special landscape here. And so my appreciation for Vermont's forests, their uniqueness and their special sort of world, what I call the world-class nature of our foliage, even compared to the great ones around us. 
that that sense came later through close observation and experience in a lot of different woods in throughout Vermont, but also comparing them to forests and other places in the world. Yeah. And why would you say Vermont's foliage is so special? I say it because of our the variety of our uh, color, which comes from the variety of tree species and forest types, the mixes of and how they are assembled on the landscape and how they grow and how they've been cared for by generations of family forest owners, foresters and loggers. So it's the variety of ours. We have more maples than any other state, the highest proportion of maples, the, the variety of maple species that we have. And maples are known to be the real show stealers for fall color. So we just have it in spades there in variety, particularly the composition, the heavy to maple. I think it's the vibrancy of our colors, truthfully, which is owing to the relative sweetness of our soils, particularly compared to, say, New Hampshire with its more granitic bedrock, whereas ours is more calcium rich. There's a real soils, geology and soils difference that translates into tree composition, growth. And I believe, at least in my mind, uh, the vibrancy of our colors. And the last one, another reason that I think ours is the world's best would be the vantage point. So I've got the, the, the vantage points being, as I mentioned earlier, the admixtures of compact human settlements and, and agricultural lands or river valleys with heavily forested sort of mosaic, generally in very good condition. So with rivers, ponds, lakes, trails of all kinds, farms, farmsteads, cultural opportunities, the vantage points for seeing and enjoying and experiencing Vermont fall foliage is unrivaled. I mean, Maine's got great lobster. I'll give it up for them every time. But our foliage is, and I think it's, so I got, what do I have here? I got three Vs. I've got variation, vibrancy, and vantage points, or even vitality of our of our landscape and our culture. That's why ours is the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. It's great. Well, I can't wait for fall foliage season. It's going to be here really soon. And um, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, I just want to thank you for coming on and, and talking about all the different parts of it and um, and also just your suggestions for places of oh, you, you know, where you to get outside. So. Pleasure, Erica. Thanks for asking. It's fun to talk with you about this stuff and uh, appreciate your your variety of questions that go beyond the, the normal, you know, when's peak? <laughs> it's peaks one day, right? Some people would say, <laughs> like the, you know, it's, it's like the ice out, you know, you can have a, you can have it down to a minute or something, but I say peak, peak is where you find it. And right. uh, so go find yours. <laughs> <laughs>